Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Kayla Parker, and I'm currently sitting in my Airbnb in Villafranche on the French Riviera, recording this episode intro. And as soon as I finish my work, I'm going to stroll down to the beach and enjoy the turquoise blue Mediterranean Sea. You see, today I'm on holiday, or vacation as my American friends call it. But for me, like many others, I believe in work-life blend. And that's what flexible working enables. And now that we're all seeing how productive we can be outside of the office, why should we return? Well, because some of our work does require us to be in the same room with other people. But that's not the topic of this episode. I just think it's important to keep in mind as we continue the debate or discussion on how to create places people will choose to come to sometimes. Which brings me to the episode you're about to listen to. My Canadian friend, David Cairns from CBRE, joins me from Toronto to challenge the industry to bet on space as a service. And he knows a thing or two about betting. He says it doesn't matter what the capital markets or landlord community wants. Customers want flexibility and service. So if you're in commercial real estate, you need to evolve in order to stay relevant. He believes space as a service should be part of every office landlord's leasing and retention strategy. In this episode, you're going to learn the difference between flex and space as a service. You're going to hear about some details about three-way deals that are transacting between landlords, customers, and operators. And also how asset owners can make their buildings more attractive for high-quality occupier customers. Finally, Dave helps us understand how it makes sense for space as a service to become less risky for landlords, yet still save customers money. Now, Dave's not a yes man, so be prepared for strong, albeit well-articulated opinions. He's all in on space as a service and is playing with a full house that includes a pair of pocket rockets for you poker players out there. Now, as always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or email podcast at workbold.co. Here we go. Welcome back to the Workbold podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined all the way from Toronto, Canada by former professional poker player, David Cairns. Why am I talking to a poker pro? Well, David, or Dave as he likes to be called, is Senior Vice President of Office Leases for CBRE in Toronto. Dave is an independent-minded person, which I completely relate to, who started off his career out of university as a professional poker player. He was ranked in the top 100 online tournament players in the world for a time, and in 2012, he transitioned from poker to commercial real estate, becoming an office leasing broker in downtown Toronto. Dave rose quickly through the ranks and is now one of the top office brokers in the country where he's focused on high-growth companies, space-as-a-service operators, and also does some landlord representation. The analytical and interpersonal skills that you're going to find out about in a moment that he's honed as a poker player helped him become an excellent negotiator, clearly, regardless of which side of the deal he's on. Dave is also an avid futurist, and when it comes to the office market, he can be found on LinkedIn talking about the importance of delivering space as a service going forward into the future. And because he's a futurist, and I'll say a bit of a rebel, he co-founded CBRE Forward, that's www.cbreforward.com, where he showcases the success stories of Canada's most innovative companies, providing tailored real estate insights to high-growth companies and interviewing authorities on the future of work. What I love, hashtag moving forward, which is one of my favorite topics. So 
Dave, without further ado, welcome to the Workable Podcast. Dude, that was an epic intro. I love the way that all sounded. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I almost got winded there for a moment. I got to sip, get to take a sip of my Diet Coke now. Yeah, thank you so much. It is actually such a pleasure to be here. I've become a massive fan of yours. And actually, in a relatively short time frame, it's just amazing how much has happened since this COVID thing started. I thought I'd share a little story with you. Um, you know, I followed Drawer. And at the beginning of this quarantine, I'm walking my daughter around my neighborhood, back and forth. It's still cold in Canada and it's a bit dreary and, you know, the vibes are low. And, you know, I think Drawer posted his podcast with you on LinkedIn. And so, of course, I went to check it out. And I'm like, holy shit, this is the most gold stuff I've ever heard. Like, and I met, I remember that for a couple of weeks, I listened to the Drawer podcast that you did probably like five or six times in a row because there was just so much back there. This is why our downloads went, so, went up so high. And now I know she, it's all you. <laughs> well, anyway, no, it's just so cool that we kind of connected and I never would have thought I'd be on here with you. Uh, I was just a fan. So it's great to you. No, well, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, credit to Dror. Um, he's always a good pull for, you know, any, any, anywhere you see Dror, you should be there. But, um, you know, I really appreciate you reaching out to me. And I think, you know, over the last... Um, a couple of months, you've been very engaging on LinkedIn and I've been following your stuff. And um, I really appreciate how you've been challenging the industry to start leaning into the future. So I'm, I'm really curious um, in, in Canada. And obviously we have a global audience, 49 countries, people listening to this podcast. Um, but in Canada specifically, what are some of the different types of transactions that you're that you're seeing um, you know, to support enterprise flexibility, especially coming out of this pandemic? Yeah, great question. Um, so, you know, there's the obvious, which is transacting in an enterprise sort of caliber space with the likes of WeWork or Notel or, or whomever. Um, but what I think has been really interesting, a trend that I think has emerged out of the U.S., unless you want to correct me and tell me that it's happening in the U.K. and Europe, is um, enterprise type clients partnering up front with a flex space provider and in essence, conducting their own RFP process to select a provider and then going to the landlord of a property in tandem with that provider and essentially uh, saying to the landlord, hey, landlord, you know, we've sort of forecasted our growth over the next five years and we estimate that we need, say, 70,000 square feet in your building, which happens to fortunately be available. But, you know, on day one of this lease, we also recognize that we really only need about 15 or 20,000 square feet to start. So in an effort to be able to provide us flexibility and agility to take space as and when we need it, we would like to come forward with a flex space provider as a partner. And the intention behind the agreement would be that, you know, we would securitize or protect the lease with our strong covenant. And we would like you to allow for you know, some kind of a license or a quasi sublet agreement to take place between us and them. And, you know, while we don't need the space, we're going to arrange with them to have it built to a standard that works for us. They can sell it to the market and we'll have predetermined dates that call that space over the course of the next five years to allow us to kind of scale into it as and when we need it. So that to me has become one of the more compelling. And and that that is an enterprise uh, occupier. That that's you. Can you profile that? How many employees are we talking about? Fast growing companies or companies like the big PwCs of the world? 
Yeah, I think you, you know, who I've seen undertake this type of transaction the most would be the technology firms, the large ones, such as the, you know, Google's, Salesforce's, Facebook's. Yeah. It's a very novel concept still. Uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you how many of these transactions have actually been made, but I can tell you I was working on one um, through the late part of 2019 and the early part of 2020. And it, it actually got shelved uh, as, as the tenant that I was working with just decided they didn't want to undertake their expansion plans in Toronto at this time. But we were getting down the line with a prominent Canadian landlord to structure a deal. And when, when that deal is structured and it's finalized, you said that the, 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 the enterprise occupier, or enterprise customer, they're the ones who are on the hook for, for the liability, um, but they're sort of offsetting that li- instead, of grow- instead of taking more space than what they need and growing into it. That's uh, effectively what they're doing, but they're agreeing up front that part of that space can be occupied by a flex space or space as a service operator to sort of help offset the cost of it. Correct. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Because, you know, we, Caleb, you and I have talked about this offline a million times. Um, you know, the landlord community has been slower to move itself into this next phase of, of change in the commercial real estate world. But, you know, that type of real risk or perceived risk, you know, in other words, having an operator such as a flex provider being part of a transaction is something that a technology firm doesn't bat an eye at, right? Um, but the landlord might have more of a cautious view. So I, I just think that that's really a leading indicator. Like if you see the companies have a, an impetus or a willingness to undertake these types of partnership agreements with an operator, such as IWG, such as Newflex, whatever you want to call it, to me, that's a leading indicator of what the landlord community needs to pay attention to and start to look at the ways in which they can do that themselves. Well, this brings up two thoughts here. And, you know, one, what landlord in their right mind would say no to that sort of transaction if the enterprise occupier is still taking on the liability? Is that is anyone saying no to that? Uh, no. So, I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess I can't say for certain. Uh, we, we, we were very focused on one landlord in the case that I was working on this type of deal. Um, but if I were to guess, I honestly do think that in Canada there are some landlords that would say no to it. So the second thing is, if if occupiers or, or if these big enterprise customers are looking to put deals like that together, then do you think the landlord community should be thinking about already having that sort of flex space in the building? Yeah, the answer is like yes, absolutely. <laughs> I said uh, it's, that it's, uh, yeah. I mean, look. Just just thinking about it from from the vantage point of being customer centric, um, you know, having to undertake a transaction of that type, you know, it, it puts more onus on the organization to solve their own problems. When in reality, I believe that the operator or the asset owner should be looking to try to solve those problems for their customer. Now, of course, it is great for you know real estate firms like us, and I really want to tip my hat to the Agile Advisory Practice Group inside of CBRE based in New York City, um, you know, that pulls together strategy on, the, on these types of transactions. That's great for us, and I'm really pleased that we're taking in to add the value. Um, but the reality is the, you know, the industry needs to continue to advance itself and grow. And, you know, what I think is also inherently possible is, is, you know, opportunity for brokerage firms like us 
to get involved in more space as a service transactions where we're representing those operators as well. So, and then, and then of course, if those operators are in the building, you know, there are brokerage fees that would be payable to, you know, the broker that represents that large technology firm negotiating that transaction. So by the landlord making it easier, I don't even really see a world where there are less fees. There could be a world where there are more fees. Okay, more more fees for the brokerage community, but not necessarily more fees that the landlord landlord has to pay. Correct. Yeah, it, you know, one might be payable through the landlord, the other one might be payable through the flex operator. Okay, so um, we keep talking about flex, and I know you're a big believer in flex, but why do you think it's the best product to serve these high growth companies that you work with? Yeah, um, well, I, I think the fundamental reason is that if they are not able to leverage a flex product, they are often relegated to the sublease uh, sort of market. And there's a couple of inherent challenges there for them. The one is that you are beholden to the lease term uh, of whatever that sublease is, right? So you're never usually going to hit it right on the money in terms of you know, the exact length of term that works for your business. And the other is that the build out uh, isn't necessarily going to be as, um, what's the word, bespoke. Um, you know, really, yeah, uh, customized, really bespoke, yeah. Customer needs. Uh, but what I will say, and I, and I believe this, is, this continues to be an inherent problem that our industry needs to solve for, is that a lot of the time, uh, a flex provider, you know, we, we refer to those that do private suites as, as private flex providers, you know, the likes of Breather, no tell. There's a great guy uh, based out of Toronto that I got to plug, Mark Go and his company ClearSpace. Um, you know, when we when we engage with our clients on those types of spaces, generally speaking, save for actually ClearSpace in my market, I, I believe that the pricing is still too high. And what ends up happening with a scaling company that is still you know very much paying attention to their bottom line, um, they end up often choosing a sublease even when it doesn't necessarily meet all of their business criteria, simply because the delta between the flex product and the sublease product, you know, can be quite significant. And as we move into recessionary type environments in some of the major markets around the world, I think that the delta between those two is just going to continue to be even wider. And so, you know, I, I'm going to go, I know you love to talk about this, and I'm a big believer in it as well. To me, the only way to truly solve for this on the flex side is for the operator and the landlord to be in partnership with one another rather than a lease being in place. Because the challenge with the lease is the operator is, you know, they're obligated to those, those financial commitments to the landlord. And a lot of them have signed leases at the top end of the market. And so it just doesn't give them the agility to be able to, you know, move and change as market conditions move and change. And I, I just fundamentally believe that this type of product needs to be a partnership between the landlords and the operators. So that that's an interesting point. And I, I want to go back a little bit. And and you you talked about the the delta between the sublease and these sort of managed um, spec suites is managed the no tell model, the clear space model that you you brought up. Uh, there's a delta between the two, um, with the exception of clear space. Hello, Mark, um, <laughs> if you're listening. But um, with the exception of ClearSpace, you said that the delta is too high, and most people, most companies in Canada are choosing subleases. Is that is that did I hear that right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I would say that as the market has um, continued to have less and less vacancy, the flex providers have 
sometimes been the choice by virtue of there not actually being another sublease opportunity out there for the client and you know one of my clients to entertain. But what I can tell you is that when we put those types of offerings in front of scaling high growth technology firms, as an example, they are often looking to us saying, hey, you know, this pricing seems really high. Are there any sublease opportunities out there okay. that might provide a better, you know, rental rate for us? So yeah. as a broker, we're constantly in that dance. And I find it to be unfortunate because we end up putting our clients into spaces that either don't have the right layout for them, don't have the right lease term for them, or just really don't meet critical business criteria simply due to price. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the finance expert in the real estate industry, but there's got to be ways to solve this to try to normalize the, the rental structure. In, in the I, just, I just think that they're inflated. They got to come down. And I have seen examples of, of it working at a, at a reduced rate, so I know it's possible. Okay, so so companies are going into sublease, um, which doesn't necessarily have the best terms because of cost when there's vacancy for it. Um, but they go into the flex space operations for the flexibility, but they're paying a premium, which tends to put them off a little bit. And you're saying that somehow the demand for flexibility is there, but the pricing model needs to change in the in the price is too high, not because someone's paying a premium for flexibility, but because the operators are on the lease arbitrage model that if they don't have that high premium, then then they're not going to be sustainable. And so you say you're suggesting that the operator and the landlord need to come together to to make sure that while they can still charge a premium, it's not off putting to, to companies. That's a that's a great way of putting it. And and look, I, I'm not under the hood of no tell or rework or breather. I don't know all aspects of what make them have charged the price charge, but I've seen examples of you know different models. Um, and I, I just think that yeah, to your point, a partnership between operator and asset owner will create uh, a, a more stable uh, pricing model. Okay, so Dave, we've been talking lots lots about flex, um, but let's put that in perspective, in context with space as a service. Do you think there's a difference between the two terms um, or are they synonymous? So to me, there is a difference. Uh, I don't necessarily think the market, notably the asset owner side, truly sees the difference, but to me, there, there are some really clear differences. So when I think of flex, I think of a private suite that is rentable on short terms, that's fully furnished and has IT and everything in place that a company would need. When I think of space as a service, I think of a fully integrated product that starts from the moment you enter the door of the building, all the way through to facilitating every need you could possibly imagine as an inconstituent of the built environment. You know, all the way through the hospitality side of things, the technology stack and the ability to leverage space on demand. So that that to me is the difference between flex and spaces. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that, Dave. Um, for the most part, I think um, I think flex is is a feature or a mechanism of space as a service. But I think it gets it gets brought into the whole space as a service conversation. You know, often at, at New Flex, we're brought into um, 
deliver or manage a, the flex layer of an asset, whether that be a floor of spec suites or the whole entire space as a service offering that, that I like to call full stack CRE that I think you were just alluding to. Um, do you think that this should be part of the leasing strategy from the outset for new developments? I think that is a no-brainer. Um, I think you know we face continued issues on the financing and the valuation side, which I think preclude quite a lot of developers and, and asset owners from considering that. But I also think it's a mindset issue on the asset owner side. Um, I think that they they view it in the reverse way in a lot of cases, in that the flex product should be the last thing to come into the building. Um, I think I've heard the the concept thrown around of like, we want to ensure that the tenant has the ability to have full control of the building at the onset to amenitize and build it in whatever way they see fit rather than having uh, a flex operator or spaces of service operator potentially preclude them from, um, you know, building the premises out the way they'd like. I just think that that's not an accurate way of looking at it. And when you bring in an, uh, a high a high caliber uh, operator, such as yourselves at Bold, or you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Convene, and I, I am helping Convene try to get into the Toronto market. If you bring in uh, a high caliber operator like that, they're only going to help the tenant better understand how to design their physical footprint and how to offset some of the underutilized space that they don't necessarily require or give them the ability to flex in and flex out of growth space that they have a harder time forecasting around. So it's just a no brainer to me that it would be part of the strategy at the onset of, of, of curating the asset. Um, you know, I think that what I'm seeing in real time so far is a willingness from some asset owners on the new development side, but really more so on the repurposing of an existing asset. Sure. In Canada and in Toronto, I'm seeing more most interest in terms of partnership deals with uh, spaces of service providers on retrofits of existing assets that need to go through some real change. Yeah, so I mean, it makes sense when when it's time to upgrade the building, when you want to future-proof it for um, today's occupiers and, and enable your future customers to be able to attract and retain talent, you sort of have to bring in that service layer now. And, um, but obviously with all the talk lately, the past couple of years or so on WeWork um, and then Notel, and then obviously bring in COVID, there's a lot of landlords and, and quite frankly, the capital markets, they've sort of taken a pause on, on our world. And, um, and, I, and I'll even say some are scared of space as a service. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it, it doesn't in any way surprise me. And I think it's a natural response to have. Um, you know, you, you, what people need to understand is, first of all, we've been living in a world in commercial real estate that's essentially operated in the same way for all the, anywhere between 30 to 50 years. There hasn't been any real cataclysmic change. So that brings with it a particular mindset or philosophy or ways of looking at deals from the asset owner side. So it takes time to change that type of uh, belief system or, or philosophy. And I think WeWork has done a great job of showing that that needs to happen. Um, you know, Dror made a great point in your podcast. He says that, um, you know, WeWork didn't create the, in, the new inherent risk of an office asset. They just exposed that it exists. 
and it exists because people want more service, which you know actually creates more risk. It doesn't necessarily have to in every case, but it, it does maybe across the board. So part of the reason why that's happening is just it takes time for the mindset to shift. And you know the other is just that it's it's simply a novel concept. No one in the industry has really ever, and specifically in the office side, you know, had to get in front of of evaluating a management agreement or something of that nature. And when you pair all of those forces from the philosophy side with with the fact that in most major markets around the world, vacancy rates have been incredibly low and just decreasing year over year over year, you know, the demand for shell space just by virtue of how strong some of these these global economies have been, you know, mostly driven by technology demand. You know, like there just hasn't been a real need for the landlord community to really shift their mindset. But I'm a big believer that vacancy rates will eventually become irrelevant because again, going back to the drawer comment, there is this inherent desire from customers for more service and more flexibility. And regardless of market forces, that is going to be something that companies want to buy. So you're going to have to wrap your head around this as an asset owner going forward if you want to continue to stay relevant in the next decade. Well, you know, you talk about George's episode on, on the podcast. By the way, that is um, episode 10 of season one, if you want to go back and reference that. Um, but Annie Rinker from Heinz came on uh, the podcast, and she talked about um, how the right space as a service footprint in an asset could be less risky um, for landlords than a traditional lease. And so when you bring up risk, um, you know, it reminded me of uh, just a moment ago, reminded me of the conversation you and I had, um, I, I think last week, where you were talking about companies leasing space as and when it's required, um, even if they're paying a, f a premium uh, for the flexibility, can often be cheaper than signing a 10-year lease. So if if the landlords have a less riskier um, proposition through having space as a service, but then the customers um, are saving money, uh, how does that make sense? Yeah, so it's a great question. But before I answer it, I just want to say again, I got to plug you because you have interviewed some of the best people and Annie is incredible. She is one of the most forward thinking people on the asset owner side that I've ever seen and I would have never been exposed to her were it not for your podcast. So thank you for that. Well, Annie's fantastic. Um, but yeah, so so I, I think it really boils down to uh, two factors that make it cheaper for, or maybe whatever, cost-effective, similar, maybe even, even cheaper in some cases for the end user. And that boils down to um, two things. One, they're not buying dormant space on day one that they don't ultimately have a need for at the time, right? And so over the course of a five or a 10-year lease, if you're taking, you know, let's say you know you're going to expand into a space uh, let's use the example I gave earlier. There's 80,000 square feet, but you only need 20,000 square feet on day one. Well, there's 60 that you know you're going to call periodically through the lease if you could. But you're paying rent on that, you know, from the beginning. Like I see technology companies in Toronto that you know receive significant funding. They'll go and lease like two floors in a building, and they'll only build out one. And you know now that the market has turned, a lot of those companies are trying to sublet their you know base building space that they haven't performed construction on and it's it's just doesn't make any sense right but but the paradigm of, of the way the lease structure and transactions work today forced that company to take on that risk because they need to be prepared for tomorrow um so i, I think that that's the, that's a clear one and then the other just flows down to 
uh, space that ultimately they underutilize. So, you know, again, you build all of these amenities into your existing footprint when if you did, let's say what Heinz does and, you know, partner up front with a convene or an industrious, you're going to give that and, and then maybe even take it a step further and have, you know, pre-built suites. If that's the strategy from the onset, those pre-built suites now don't necessarily need to have certain amenities in them because the developer knows they can be leveraged elsewhere in the building and they can advise the tenant accordingly, right? So when you, when you pair those types of strategies together for the tenant, there ultimately ends up being savings even when there's a premium price that's, that's being requested. Yeah, so you know, often when, when we're consulting with our asset client, asset owner clients, uh, we look at the business plan um, for, for the asset and what they're trying to achieve. And then uh, if, if, for instance, if it's a 100,000 square foot asset or 200,000 square foot asset, um, whether they go 10% or 25% space as a service footprint, um, it depends on what sort of market rates they're trying to achieve. And, and often if, um, if they have the space as a service as an, as an amenity or in, in the flex capabilities that companies can uh, take less space in, in, the, in the asset, they can charge more for it. Um, so, so it's really about uh, making sure that you're, you're building out the right footprint based on the, the assets business plan. So Dave, what, what's your view? Because I know some landlords right now are, are uh, looking to partner with brands to deliver space as a service. Um, and others are looking at saying, okay, well, we're just going to throw up some spec suites, uh, what we call in the UK Cat B spec suites. Um, I think you guys call it something else. What do you call it in, in Canada? Well, yeah, I think that we would probably refer to it as a private flex suite. Okay. So, I guess what my question is between partnering with um, a space as a service brand or, you know, putting up these spec suites in, um, yourself, when should a landlord partner with the, the branded operator versus throwing up the spec suite themselves? Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I just think that the landlord community needs to start to think more holistically about delivering space as a service, you know, really in hospitality across the board. So, the challenge in my mind when you just build, let's say, spec suites is that you're not really looking at the way your entire building, including those tenants that want to buy a flex private product, are ultimately needing to use amenities um, in the building. So, you know, again, you can go back to the Heinz example because I just think it's so brilliant. Like they are building into each of their assets a full stack of, of events and meeting spaces a full stack of private flexible suites that, that companies can lease. And they're providing you know, amenities that tenants don't ultimately need to build into their own existing space. But most importantly about on the amenity front is that they are activating that amenity space through a proficient provider, such as convener industrious, that are going to make sure that that space actually gets utilized in the appropriate way. And can then of course generate a return unlike a lot of the space that has been built by landlords across the board on the amenity side that you basically it's a ghost town right so i think that the there it's great to see some landlords building in these flex suites and taking on that that product themselves but there's so much more to the space as a service conversation than just those suites and by thinking about it differently and and having it be part of your leasing and retention strategy, 
you're going to be finding ways to uncover revenues that you probably didn't realize you you could uncover, and you're going to be providing better customer support. Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent point, and I think this is where uh, a lot of landlords are sort of not seeing seeing it directly. Is they they sort of see the amenity space and the percentage of uh, they dedicate and allocate to, to the asset as amenity space as a cost, and certainly they. Uh, they distribute that cost and, and recoup it through the service charge in the building, um, but it's actually could be a, a revenue generator um, that gives them a premium on top of what they would charge in a service charge um, uh, calculation. And we, we were looking at um, we were modeling an asset um, in the northern part of England just last week, and the the asset owner. We, we did a model that showed sort of when the break-even point is going to be and w- you know, when it starts making profit. <laughs> and the asset owner said, well, we, we really are just happy if it breaks even because we need that amenity in the building to be able to um, sell the rest of the space. And when you start thinking about it in terms of driving profit, in addition to having it as an amenity, I think that's when it becomes exciting. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, look, th- like – the thing that needs to change, and I'm glad it's starting to change, but take take the financial returns out of the equation for a second, okay? You are building, as a landlord, historically, we've been building amenity space into a building, and it's a ghost town because it doesn't get activated in the right ways, right? They, they, like, they don't bring in an operator that thinks more like a hotel. And so they charge their tenants for something that ultimately isn't activated in a way that makes them want to use it. And like, it, it's just backwards thinking. And, you know, it's, it's, I almost find it comical that, you know, companies just don't even put their hands in the air and say, what the hell? Because they're so used to buying this product with like very limited to no service in it. It's, it's almost just like par for the course, right? Can you, so can like, you give an, can you give an example of, of, of that, how they're providing an amenity that they're, they're not really, nobody's taking advantage of, but getting charged yeah, for it. So, yeah, so I mean, like, the, I mean, well, the gym is a is a classic one, right? Um, but then, you know, let's just talk about wellness spaces, um, you know, like even spa type areas that that maybe you can go and use a steam room or whatever. Like when when I go, like unless I'm in my house and I've built a steam room into my house, if I'm going to a spa like place, well, I want to be greeted by somebody and I want an experience, right? I don't want that to be low touch. Like I want somebody there that's going to enhance my experience for me, right? And and that's just something that across the board we have not seen in office buildings to this point. And what I find again interesting as a leading indicator, look at the best companies in the world. They bring service into their own spaces, right? They build amenities and they service the amenities. So like, let's all look at these leading indicators and to me, the, the no-brainer way of solving it, again, like I feel like it's beating a dead horse, but like partner with the likes of a convene or a new flex or, or whatever to make sure that the space that you are building that you so, you know, it's great that you want your companies to have a benefit, like that, that part of it's great, but not recognizing that it isn't getting utilized properly, well, that's a big blunder. Well, I think that's also one of the things that I, I like about what Ryan over at Convene talks about, how uh, they bring these uh, these enterprise-level services into an asset to let other businesses that might be fast-growing 
they might be these fast-growing companies, but they're not as big as enterprise, so they can't bring in in that service level. But by partnering with one of these operators, they're able to the, the asset owner is able to provide that to all of the occupants of the building. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's totally brilliant. All right. Excellent. Well, Dave, this has been very insightful. I really appreciate you coming on. I've got a few quick fire questions for you before we uh, conclude the podcast episode. Uh, my first, I, I think I know the answer to this already um, uh, because we, we share our uh, admiration for a few people, but uh, who inspires you in our industry? Yeah, so definitely Drawer, Oleg, and Anthony Slumbers. And you know what, man? You inspire me too. Um, you are like boots on the ground out there putting your voice out there and you're willing to have tough conversations and you're trying to enlighten our industry in a very productive way. Um, so I really admire you. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. I, I actually um, I, I admire all the stuff you're putting out on LinkedIn. And it's, it's, it's been a challenge for me to keep up with you on LinkedIn because um, you put out such such very thought-provoking stuff, and I can't comment as fast enough because I, sometimes I want to just sit there and think about it before I give a response. And man, but you blow up the LinkedIn. It's fantastic. Thanks. Well, you got to teach me Twitter next because I, I keep seeing these like Twitter influencer things in commercial real estate. Well, I, mean, uh, I, 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 I got to catch up to you. I do think you need to be on Twitter, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> but right. um, okay, so um, obviously you've already talked about how how we've met sort of through the podcast and drawer. And um, but what other podcast or or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest trends in our industry? Yeah, um, so I, I just think that for me, LinkedIn is such a great place to absorb content. My favorite other thing to read by far is Drawer's newsletter. Um, it's just so incredibly insightful and I, I just absolutely love the correlations that he makes to other industries and past examples, again, as a leading indicator of what we should likely expect. So he is like by far number one in his newsletter. And also, I don't think this is a disclaimer per se, but I'll put the disclaimer out there that both Dave and I are um, are classmates. Would you call us? I don't know. In the in the, yeah. in, the in the real innovation academy with Drawer and Anthony, so uh, we're we're both learning together. Um, and and I'll put a link in the in the show notes to that as well. Um, okay. So on a completely lighter note, um, where is your favorite holiday destination? Yeah, it's easy. Santa Teresa, Costa Rica. Can you talk more about that? Because I've not been to Costa Rica. Yeah, so Costa Rica is just an amazing country all around. Uh, the people are just so, so friendly. And, and it's just such a beautiful sort of rainforest kind of place. But particularly this little little village called Santa Teresa is just so beautiful because it's, it's really, really remote. Um, so you've got these long stretches of beach that you can just feel like you can walk for miles. Um, but there's there's a like a really big health food scene there and just this like stretch of like rugged, rugged dirt road beach that's got incredible restaurants and just really healthy food. And it's just so peaceful and serene. And my wife and I would just fall in love with it. Amazing. It sounds fantastic. I'd love to go there. And, and it's now going to be added to my list. Um, thank you for that. And thank you for joining me today, Dave. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to continuing to catch up on LinkedIn and, and our offline conversations as well that we're having. Um, be sure to connect with Dave on LinkedIn because he does put out some really good stuff. Uh, we've included a, a link down below in the show notes to his profile. So, um, and, and maybe soon uh, you'll be able to follow him on Twitter too. 
Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, man. I'm, I'm totally humbled to have been able to come on your podcast. Like I said, you're just doing some really great stuff. Well, cheers for that. And until next time, thank you for tuning in. Take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts. Podcasts.